This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Edition of the Minor League Baseball Podcast, the show before the show where I uh, unfortunately bullied Samuel P. Dykstra into putting up a background photo on his Zoom screen today because I made a comment the last time we had a Zoom call when Sam was at home about his uh, his kind of wonky blind over his window. Sam, I feel genuinely sort of bad. As you should. I mean, that's <laughs> the energy we should carry into the 2022 is Tyler feels generally bad about a comedy. Yes, you should. That's just that's just the way I want to start this year is just you apologizing to me about past transgressions, whether they're from two weeks ago or from months ago or things, you know, maybe even I've forgotten. Very much sounds like you're harboring some transgressions from weeks <laughs> know, or months ago yeah. or ones that you may have forgotten, Sam. I'm just saying, if you no, want to get some things off your chest, you go right on ahead. That's for, for those who missed it, like three weeks ago, uh, we did a uh, what was that cup that you just drank out of? It looked like a like an Under Armour wipes container. Oh, no, it's an all star game cup. <laughs> Okay. That I got from the office. <laughs> I just had to throw in a dig. A few weeks ago, we did an episode and Sam was sitting in his apartment and he had a, a blind over his shoulder that looked like, you know, when you pull down on the blinds, only one part goes up. And I was like, Sam, what, uh, in, in fix that? What's the deal with that? And then we it devolved and talking about how many containers of Reynolds wrap he had on the counter. <laughs> and I have felt very bad ever since. Um, but uh, we love him. And he's got beautiful Polar Park in Worcester, Mass as his background today. And Benjamin Hill joins the show as well who based on the sign over his left shoulder is 10 months old now hi ben (laughs) (laughs) yes 10 months old uh you know you gotta time is an illusion a construct a flat circle all those things so i decided i'm 10 months old um also my son harry is 10 months old so all right uh, we have this sign that updates his age and right now there's a sign behind me that says 10 months old, just like a little movie theater marquee. It's just adorable. And yes, I am working from home today as uh, everyone in the company is uh, this week, you know, just with the current situation. So just like 2020 to be back, uh, me in my bedroom, which is also Harry's bedroom and uh, his changing table and all that. So uh, it's great. I'm probably going to have to shift locations pretty soon because he's going to come in here and take a nap. It's uh, really optimal working conditions. <laughs> Well, then we will uh, fly through all of our topics today uh, because Harry's nap time is coming up. And if he's anything like me, I don't want to get screwed with nap time um, as we welcome you into this week's latest edition of the show before the show. You guys could drag me, by the way. I'm sitting literally in a closet that just has soundproofing foam and a sign that I stole from the 2005 Tour de France uh, on the wall. Um, you could drag me. I'm it's, I'm in a closet. I built a fold down desk in a closet. This is not a normal thing. 
I mean, it's so much better when you drag yourself. Like if we just give you enough time, it's just going to happen. So we'll just just kind of sit back (laughs) and you'll just keep describing the place that you're in to your own detriment. No more accurate thing has ever been said to me than if we (laughs) give you enough time, you'll just drag yourself. That is the most accurate thing any human being has ever observed about me. That was very, that was very astute. Uh, So we welcome you. And I don't even know if I said my name. I'm Tyler Mon. He's Sam Dykstra and he's Ben Hill. And uh, you are here with us for the latest edition of the Minor League Baseball Podcast, the show before the show, as we kick off 2022, our first edition of the podcast's seventh full year, I believe, in existence. Uh, And we welcome you in. And obviously, still, well, now just inside of 100 days away from first pitch of the minor league baseball season as scheduled for 2022. Uh, We saw teams all across the minor leagues posting on social media recently that they were uh, getting close, 100 days away, 95 days away, whatever it was. Um, So that is certainly exciting. But uh, as for stories to discuss, uh, there is one big one, which is uh, our topic for the interview today. The Iowa Cubs had a very interesting, very unique very heartwarming event uh, in their front office recently. We'll talk about that coming up here in a little bit. Uh, but it is the first week in January. And with that, it means we got to put out some resolutions for this 2022 campaign that is uh, nearly nigh, as they say, uh, in 1860. Um, Sam, let's kick it off with you. Resolutions in 2022. What are you uh, resolving to do? Is that the proper term? What are you resoluting? Yeah, I guess it would be resolving. Um, I'm going to keep mine kind of at the industry wide level uh, and just say I want it to feel even more normal this year. I want opening day to feel like a true opening day. We we were robbed of that last year. Like it was great for baseball to be back. We missed it completely in 2020 at the minor leagues. Um, So opening day came and and there were reduced capacities. and, And it was like, we're just glad to have this. And especially for those of us who are following it coast to coast, like we're great to have have uh, box scores again, but I'm just looking forward to that opening day and, and having it feel like, Hey, everybody's here, especially what we know about the virus. Now it, it's a tough time currently, but getting everybody outdoors is going to be huge. Um, I'm, I would love to see a sellout everywhere. Um, I would also love to see the virus at a point where everybody would feel comfortable with the sellout everywhere. Um, but I think that's the biggest theme of the year for me is just getting back to normal as best we can. Um, and doing that from post to post, you know, from opening day to last day of the year, whatever that's going to look like, um, you know, as few COVID stops as, as necessary, hopefully none, hopefully even by that, by the summer, um, we're not talking about this stuff anymore. But uh, yeah, I think that's, that's the biggest thing I'm looking forward to is just another year down, which means another year of normalcy and everything really locking in, into place. We talked to so many people who uh, worked in minor league front offices or are on minor league teams or field staffs or whatever. We talked about how 2021 kind of felt like the dress rehearsal for getting back to normalcy, uh, which we also desperately want um, at this stage. But Ben, for you going into 2022, how about some resolutions on your end? Yeah, I mean, I think Sam hit on some broader general points that I'd agree with. And I think, you know, being realistic, 2022 season is still going to be tough for the industry and um, still a sort of working our way up and out of it. But I do think there is room for growth, room for improvement, and at the very least better to be 2021, which as difficult as that was, let's remember that that was better than 2020. So I think we need to look at things from a baby step perspective there. In terms of my own personal resolutions, um, I have some I guess I can't get into right now. So 
if they happen, you'll know. And if they don't, you'll never know. And so I hope uh, I can talk about them someday because that means they will have come true. Like wishes. What is the difference between a wish and a resolution? I think there are bigger, there are differences between them because a wish you can't really control and a resolution you can. So I am going to seek to control what I can control. So my wishes become resolutions. Anyhow, uh, on a, on a work level, I mean, just two things I mentioned, uh, you know, cause we've been always talking about the ballpark guide project, writing, uh, you know, ballpark guides for every minor league stadium. Tyler has been involved with that. Josh Jackson has been involved with that and, um, still a long ways to go, but I, you know, getting them all done by opening day might be a little tough, but I'm working on those a lot. And certainly in 2022 to finish the ballpark guide project, which would include it all have, you know, having a separate landing page. And really being, I think we can say without hyperbole, the best minor league baseball road trip destination and resource ever created. So um, looking forward to seeing that project come together. And, you know, just as being the guy who travels and goes to ballparks, um, you know, for the first time since 2018, I mean, I'm in a position where I have not been to every minor league ballpark um, because I couldn't get to them all last year in a limited travel schedule. So at the very least, in getting on the road again this year, I would like to visit the St. Paul Saints, the Sugarland Skeeters, the Wichita Wind Surge, and the Beloit Skycarp, formerly the Snappers, and of course now the Skycarp. So um, I hope to be able to hit those four locations uh, and, and hopefully some others, and we'll see how that all goes on the travel front. But I always enjoy getting out on the road, seeing people, and uh, getting when stop and eating it in my hotel room at midnight and I want all those things to continue. So those are some resolutions on, on that front and uh, they shall come true. I will will them to come true. I like that. I like all of those. Um, for myself, it uh, has to do with this podcast. I just want to make this 2022 run of podcasts better than we ever have before, because I feel like through 2020 and 2021, I heard from more people who said, oh yeah, I listen to you guys weekly. Uh, than I heard in the previous five years of the show combined. Um, so we have a, a very loyal and awesome base of listeners from week to week. And uh, it's something that has just really hit me over the last year of like, oh, this is something that people really enjoy. And being able to add things like Ghost of the Miners uh, with Josh Jackson, obviously, which we explored last week in our episode about that. Um, and just some of the fun things that we've uh, created and taken control of over the last uh, couple of years with the podcast. I want to keep doing fun stuff like that. Uh, if anybody has suggestions, questions, thoughts, things that you have uh, dreamed about being on the minor league baseball podcast, get in touch podcast at MILB.com. Um, we got an email this morning uh, from a guy who wanted to uh, send us his logo mat price list for 2022, which is definitely not a spam email. So uh, give us some non spam email podcast at MILB.com. Give us your thoughts on uh, if you have a Ghosts of the Miners-esque segment that you would love. Uh, if you want to hear me and Ben yell about our favorite logos uh, or uniforms or whatever it is, uh, and Sam obviously is included in that as well, uh, let us know. I just uh, have such a rejuvenated passion for this show, and we get to do so many fun things with it that uh, fired up for 2022 on the podcast ranks. And uh, we've also got stuff coming to the site. Ben mentioned the, the ballpark guides. We've had a lot of those rolling out this week as we have come out of the holiday season. Uh, I had Quad Cities and Winston-Salem running this week. Josh Jackson's got a couple this week. Ben, you as well. Um, your latest and greatest on the ballpark guides are? 
Prince George's Stadium, the home of the Bowie Bay Sox, is my most recent ballpark guide, and I'm going to pivot from that and currently working on another double uh, A Northeast team, uh, the Harrisburg Senators. But enjoy putting the Bowie one together. Uh, it's a place I've visited several times. I've always thought the Bay Sox did a good job at that ballpark, um, you know, with a lot of promotions, a lot of uh, color and energy throughout the concourse on any given night. Um, if you have not been to that ballpark, it's an interesting one, Prince George's Stadium, which is so named because that's the name of the county in which Bowie is located, Prince George County. And the county was named after the Prince George of Denmark, but whose wife, I forget what his, his wife's name was, a queen who ruled you know, Great Britain. So I'm not too up on uh, the history of uh, monarchs, but it all trickles down to the point where Baltimore Orioles double-A affiliate plays at Prince George's Stadium. And that's, you know, a very populated area of the country. Bowie is, you know, roughly between Washington, Washington, D.C. and Baltimore. The ballpark itself, you're basically pulling into a, you know, large shopping complex and you drive on Ballpark Road through the shopping complex, you know, past a lot of stores. You'll see a Home Depot immediately, but you go further and further and further back and then bam, there's a minor league ballpark. And on the other side of the ballpark, you know, there's woods and trees and it's, you know, mercifully undeveloped. So you don't feel, uh, despite what it takes to get to that ballpark and where it's located, when you're at the ballpark, it doesn't feel super congested. You know, you, you have some trees and some open air and woodland and, uh, a fun place to see a game and uh last thing i'll mention about it is uh you know i was highlighting as we do in every ballpark guide places to uh visit and places to eat around the area and there's one restaurant in Bowie that i've never been to called uh jerry's seafood and their sig- signature dish is called the crab bomb it's very expensive right now because as i've learned writing this ballpark guide the price of crab has gone up by as much as 70 percent recently and that's not a good development, but none of the crabs crab bomb currently crazy crabs today. Am I right, folks? <laughs> yeah, or maybe they've unionized right. and finally getting their their <laughs> you know their flesh is being bomb. paid their actual the, the rate that they're worth. Yeah, finally. Um, but anyway, crab bombs are very expensive. Jerry seafood and buoy, 10 ounces of crab, and it's just baked. I think there's you know a little butter and sauce, but it's just this little big bomb of crab. And, you know, I'm gluten-free and there's no breading. It's just this 10-ounce bomb of fresh crab baked. And I was just like, ah, next time I go to Bowie, I'm going to Jerry's Seafood and I'm getting a crab bomb. The picture looked amazing. And I don't spend $44.95 for entrees very often, if ever. But I pledge to you, Jerry's Seafood and the people of Bowie, next time I can make it back to a Bay Sox game, I'm going to carve out a little time for a crab bomb at Jerry's Seafood. Probably after the ball game or the next day probably don't want a crab bomb before uh visiting the ballpark but one thing at a time but there's a resolution for you i'm gonna get a crab bomb in 2022 hold hold, hold me to it that does come amazing. back here later in the year and if i haven't gotten a crab bomb i'll do everything i can to get a crab bomb it does sound fantastic um any food item that ends in bomb i feel like is a real it's a real challenge that i am willing to take on uh the ballpark guides this week uh i had quad cities which is a place that i actually visited this past summer and i wish i would have written the ballpark guide before i went out there because there's so much cool stuff that i missed uh but quad cities if you haven't been to a river bandits game uh fantastic operation such a cool little spot right on the mississippi river um and of course you're familiar with the backdrop with the the bridge that goes over and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago um but that's a great spot winston-salem home of the winston-salem dash uh i love me some uh 
uh, some dash, some now Truist Stadium, a uh, place that was formerly known as BB&T Ballpark, uh, which now is home to not just the Dash, but also the Carolina Disco Turkeys, who are a uh, summer collegiate team uh, that play in that ballpark. But uh, the Dash do such a great job, and that area I know has been uh, the subject of a lot of development in recent years with condos and uh, apartments and houses and storage facilities and um, all that type of stuff. And they've got really easy access to downtown. They're right off the highway that goes through Winston-Salem, one of the highways that goes through Winston-Salem, um, but great food stops, great culture stops near by, uh, I learned that Winston-Salem is home to the final clamshell-shaped shell gas station in the country. And I bet you guys were dying to know that. Based on Sam's facial reaction right now, I know that that's something that he was just dying to know. I'm just confused. So what is the sign shaped like no, a clamshell? No, the building. The building, the building is shaped like a clamshell. So it looks it, like it's out of Bikini Bottom. Is what right, exactly, exactly. Okay. It is no longer a gas station, unfortunately, but they built a lot of them in the 30s, and it's the last surviving one. So you can go to Winston-Salem and take a picture. What is it now, building. then? Is it just uh, this random shell off the highway? Like yeah, a- I think it's just empty. I think it's just an empty building. Um, so you're telling me it's a shell of its former self. I always need to know when you're building up to these things. I need to prepare myself mentally for them. Um, Sam's going to be the best dad someday because he's had dad jokes his entire life. Just cranking them out. They're fantastic. But it is. That's an accurate way to describe it. Um, But yeah, Winston-Salem, another great stop. And uh, we've got more and more coming this week and on into next week from the ballpark guys. Joshua Jackson has Lake Elsinore coming up. Uh, the the Storm, one of the uh, real crown jewels of minor league baseball. I know a franchise that has been so successful merchandising and ballpark-wise and uh, everything that they do in Lake Elsinore, I know, has been uh, widely hailed over the existence of that franchise. Um, so be on the lookout for more ballpark guides. And uh, with that, we're going to pivot to this week's interview. And I'm going to let Ben tee it up. It's a story that you, if you follow the world of minor league baseball, you have certainly at least heard about uh, in recent weeks. But Ben, give us the uh, the lowdown on what's coming up this week in our interview. Absolutely. Before doing that, I want to go back to the ballpark guides very quickly, just to Please. say that we do have a temporary landing page for the ballpark guides. Um, in case you hear us talking about them and don't quite know where to look, but milb.com slash fans slash ballpark dash guide is where they are all located right now. And they will eventually be compiled into a uh, interactive uh, one-stop road trip resource for all your minor league baseball ballpark road trip needs. But once again, milb.com slash fans slash ballpark dash guide. And with that, it is time to go to the interview. We talk to Scott Saylor and Brent, Brent Conkle of the Iowa Cubs about a very generous gesture that capped off the tenure of the team's outgoing ownership group. It's a story that uh, has gotten a lot of coverage already, but it was great to talk to these two directly about an act of generosity, how it affected them, and how it's uh, what it meant to the entire front office staff. So... We're going to go to that without further ado, and Happy New Year, everybody. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Here on the show before the show podcast, I, Ben Hill, along with Tyler Mon and Sam Dykstra, are joined by two staff members on the Iowa Cubs, Scott Saylor and Brent Conkle. Guys, thanks so much for being here today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. And before we get into the meat of this interview, and of course, why we're talking to you, uh, a little bit of backstory is that the Iowa Cubs are among what is now, I think, a dozen teams, roughly a dozen teams that have been recently sold uh, to Diamond Baseball Holdings, a subsidiary of Endeavor, which is itself a global sports and entertainment company. We've mentioned that on the podcast before and uh, hope to cover more regarding that uh, on a broader scale in the near future. But the Iowa Cubs are one of the teams that were sold, longtime AAA affiliate of the Chicago Cubs. They had been owned by a group led by Michael Gartner, a longtime Iowa resident, uh, big figure in the journalism world. Uh, he'd owned the team for over 20 years. And after selling the team, he did something very unexpected. And that was a, a great, generous gesture to his staff members by giving everyone Money, $2,000 for every year they had worked with the team, paying out, I believe, was it $600,000 or $700,000 total? We're going to talk about all of that and what it meant and how it came about. So where to begin? I guess either of you, Scott or Brent. First of all, Scott, you've been with the team for 23 years, and uh, you identify as the former director of communications and ticket operations associate. You've done a little bit of everything with the Iowa Cubs over a long period of time. Brent, you're the VP and Director of Premium Seating and Corporate Marketing. Started as an intern in 1998, uh, been there ever since, so longtime staff members. That's enough uh, lead up for me. Whoever wants to get started, take us through this, how this all came about and uh, how you learned that you were going to get a little bit of a bonus for all your years working for the team. Well, uh, we were shocked and surprised, as most everybody was, when Mr. Gardner said he was going to sell the team, uh, he told me in July, and I think you guys in October. Yeah, we found out in October. Uh, I think that thought the process was going to be a little quicker than it was, but it took a little longer. So, uh, you know, went into December. But so we were and sad uh, too. He'd been the owner for 22 seasons uh, since I started, and just after Conco started. Uh, it's nice to have local ownership. Uh, he had an office on the second floor. He lives across the street. All five of the ownership group grew up and graduated from Des Moines high schools. So a, a little bit of an end of an era, uh, local ownership, and now being one of 10, 12 teams owned by Diamond Baseball Holdings, and maybe in the future, as many as 50 or 60 teams in that group. So definitely sadness uh, when, we, when we found out the news. And then last Tuesday, uh, we had a staff meeting out in the Cub Club Left Field Lounge area now the Betfred Leftfield Lounge, uh, to kind of say goodbye on the last day of his ownership, uh, a little food and drink, uh, to kind of say thank you to him. Uh, he also said thank you to us. It was a, a very nice event. Yeah, and you know, some of us that uh, weren't able to be there, they did set up a Zoom call, which was great. Uh, unfortunately, I wasn't able to, to be there in person, uh, but there was you know 10 or 12 of us on that, and the remainder were in person uh, at the restaurant. Uh, and, you know, listening to the thank you and that's brought out all the emotions, all the owners 
you know, said some things and, um, you know, myself being with like Scott, we've been here the whole time that, uh, you know, Michael and his group have owned the team. So it definitely was a kind of a bittersweet thing. Uh, and then once he started, uh, you know, explaining what was, was happening past the thank yous, uh, and past the business card jokes, um, uh, you know, just listening to him, he, he said, you know, we're going to give each of you $2,000 and he kind of paused and I'm thinking, well, that's fantastic. Uh, and I don't know if he meant to pause or if it just happened to be a natural pause. And then he continued with, uh, for every year that you've, you've worked with us, including your intern years. And, you know, at that point, it's just kind of, you kind of go speechless uh, when you start figuring that out and, and trying to, uh, and trying to understand what that means. And it's, uh, you know, it's just something that's, it's hard to describe uh, when you hear about that. And uh, people were definitely emotional. And I, I mean, I'm included in that and still kind of getting a little emotional about it, thinking about it now. But uh, yeah, just, just kind of the cherry on the top of the, the uh, generosity and the, the way they did things the whole 22 years, um, you know, getting to see that firsthand and just kind of, that was kind of the, the, uh, you know, icing on the cake, I guess to try to use another cliche about it, but um, just, you know, unbelievable generosity and, and the way they treated us the whole time. Um, just all examples of that. You guys have been around minor league baseball a long time. You know that nobody gets in this business to get rich. Uh, we work long, hour, long hours, long days, long summers, uh, a lot of camaraderie. And uh, it was nice to get rewarded, but almost even nicer was the fact that we got to share this together as a family one last time uh, together. And it, it was very emotional. Uh, even our grounds crew guys, the toughest guys here, they had tears in their eyes. It was just uh, not so much the money, but the fact that this is kind of an end of an era uh, and uh, capping on how nice, like Brent said, we've been treated for 22 seasons and kind of over a little bit, but uh, we're moving on and Hopefully this will kind of continue and set the tone for our new ownership and our new pathway in minor league baseball with the changes from MLB and things like that. Yeah. When you cut through the emotional uh, facade of the groundskeepers, that's when you know you've done something uh, truly moving. Um, so both of you have over two decades with the team at $2,000 uh, you know, per year with the team. And, uh, you know, Scott, like you said, no one's in this to make money. So to get that much money at once in this industry is, I'd say, literally unheard of. So if you could both talk a little bit about, you know, once you processed all this and maybe you're still processing it, um, you know, what are your next thoughts in terms of, you know, what to do with the money or what this means in your own lives going forward? Uh, I guess, yeah, I was still trying to kind of work through that. I mean, you're not, obviously, you know, you don't get... Uh, a sum of money like that to really very often, at least like Scott said, not in minor league baseball for sure. Uh, so just trying to process that, you know, I've got, you know, wife and, and four young kids uh, just trying to, you know, do what's best for, for our family. If it's, you know, schooling or whatever, they're uh, saving for something or, you know, something that we need, you know, it's just, we're still trying to work through that. And um, you know, it's obvious, you know, it's a, I guess it's a fun thing to be able to do, but also, you know, we want to be mindful and do, do the right thing with it too. Uh, you know, from that perspective. I knew this was coming, not knowing Michael Gartner for almost 45 years in some form. So 
and I was hoping to come a, a lot sooner than this. So I gave my two nieces in Kansas City and my nephew in Texas uh, extra nice Christmas gifts this Christmas when we met. I gave them $2,000 each just because they're all in their 20s and they could use this money a lot more than, than I could. Uh, I bought myself a pair of tennis shoes since, so uh, I'm not sure how I'm going to spend that money. Uh, but it, it was a great windfall for us being long-term employees, but everybody from the janitor to new hires, uh, all through our uh, longest-term employee that uh, had been here 35 years and got $70,000, whatever the amount we got, it was it was very much appreciated. And again, it was more the emotional thing about us being a family and things like that uh, that uh, came from Mr. Gardner. And, and like Brent said, and I've said, you know, that's the way they've treated us all 22 seasons that they've been here. Uh, and, and this kind of thing gesture wasn't unusual for Michael Gartner when he sold the Ames Tribune in 1999 as he was buying uh, the Iowa Cubs. Uh, he gave all the newsroom employees a thousand dollar check each when he sold the Ames paper. So he's done this before and he's treated us well and uh, he's going to continue to be a great fan and, and Skybox leaseholder. And we hope to see him at the ballpark a lot. Uh, but he's just a great guy. Uh, Mike Judicesi, Mike C. Gartner, Sam Burnaby, Doug Dorner, the others in that ownership group all gave great speeches. All were great to work for for 22 seasons. Sam continues here for a little while longer to, in the transition uh, to keep things going. But again, it's, it's the family that we've got here. And also since the news has come out, we've heard from a lot of former co-workers and former interns that have kind of reached out and congratulated us. And it's nice to hear back from those folks too. And they've all reflected on their time here and how much they've enjoyed it and gone on to do other things. Uh, so it, it, it is an emotional thing and it is a family thing. And uh, we're just very lucky to be here uh, in a lot of ways. And it's uh, a thing that really sort of makes you feel positive about people who have uh, the means to do something like that for their employees and they want to give back and they want to do something uh, that makes a big impact uh, in the lives of their employees because I feel like we don't hear about that a lot uh, in today's world and that makes it very cool. Um, and so with that optimism, I have to ask you guys a fun question, which is everybody kind of dreams about like, okay, if I was handed 10 grand today, here's what I would do with it. So I have to ask, uh, was there a fun purchase that you guys either have already made or are planning on making? Is there anybody else uh, in the front office who you've heard from is like, okay, well, that's going to be a cool. I, for example, have a, I have a 50 year old truck that I'm restoring. If somebody just handed me a check with a lot of money, I would think like, oh, I'm going to blow this on the money pit that I've decided to, for some reason, invest a ton in. Um, what is the, the fun purchase story like from the iCubs front office so far? Well, I guess I know I mentioned I hadn't thought of anything to, to purchase, but you know, one thing that has crossed my mind is I right now I drive a, a 2007 um, minivan, uh, you know, and there's thought across my mind to maybe upgrade that, but we'll see if that gets to pass some of the other ideas that we have. But we do have uh, the one coworker who's planning a wedding. Uh, I don't know if that's that considered fun to me. Uh, you know, he's going to be able to uh, to. Uh, add to that, uh, that party, I think so. And I don't know as far as I haven't heard anybody else, at least, uh, you know, just find out about this last week, uh, what they've, I haven't seen anybody show up in any new vehicles or anything like that, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know what people are, people are planning, I guess. We got yeah. a, a lot of young staffers with families and such. And while the 
uh, blow it all on a vacation or things like that sounds like fun. We're pretty practical people here and uh, probably maybe not going to do that. But uh, the wedding, I think Dustin's wedding is probably going to help him out a lot. He's a, a good kid in our stadium operations department. He's getting married, Mar married March 5th. Uh, that'll go a long way to making that a nice event. And just to go back to the day itself, because I keep getting stuck on this part of the story. Um, and I know, you know, some of you guys were on Zoom, some of you were there in person. So there's going to be different experiences here. But the idea that he tried to trick you guys by saying, here are your new business cards. Like, Scott, I know you said this is kind of coming, but like, what was the scuffle around folks just being like, okay, here's an envelope with new business cards on it, I guess, that are going to say diamond baseball holdings. Like, was that a curveball or did everybody know, really know something else was coming here? I think people knew something was up because, uh, you know, you just don't get together for a reason to hand out business cards. Although we are get, we did get business cards made and we did hand out the proofs to the business cards that meeting. So it was kind of a little bit of a red herring, but he quickly segued in the fact why we we're here and the bonuses and things like that. So it was uh, a nice thing that that happened, but uh, people had an idea something big was up, especially when we coordinated the Zoom effort and said, you know, you might want to be here if you can. And uh, we were. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and, and we've talked a lot about, you know, what these last few weeks have been like as that turnover, you know, and the handing of the baton from one ownership group to another ownership group. You guys are still around. I mean, the, the Iowa Cubs front office is still there. Everybody is still in place. Um, so what is Iowa Cubs baseball going to look like in 2022 with this new ownership group in place and you guys being part of kind of a larger group? Well, I think initially, you know, if a fan came to one of our games, you know, if they didn't know we'd change ownerships, I don't think they're going to see much change. Uh, you know, from the top, uh, you know, Sam, our president general manager, from him down, all of, all of us are here still here. So all the relationships we have with people in the community or fans and whatnot, those are still there. Um, you know, we're going to still try to to do the things that we think uh, you know are the right things to do to to make this you know safe, clean, and fun, and and uh, the best one of the best uh, you know minor league parks and and uh, franchises around. Uh, we're just trying to continue what we're doing. Uh, you know, and you know on the backside of that with with some of the the backing we have from our new new ownership group, uh, maybe down the line that could turn into some things and enhancements and different things at the park that they can help out with. Uh, but I think from a fan perspective, you know, at this point, 2022, uh, they'll come and see the, you know, the future Cubs or maybe the current Cubs, uh, you know, when they come uh, to one of our games. It hasn't changed much. It won't change much for the fans. Uh, for us, there's a little more paperwork involved in joining a new organization, especially as big as Endeavor, but uh, the fans, uh, probably won't notice uh, much at all. I hope that's the case. I hope that we continue to be a leader in minor league baseball and continue to grow as the years go on. And to that point, um, this is not the only media, this podcast interview that the uh, Iowa Cubs have recently gotten around this story. There was even a story in the New York Times. And one of the points made in that time story is just following up with what Brent and Scott were saying is that uh, one of uh, Michael Gartner's motivations for being this generous was to, uh, you know, maybe help create that sense of continuity as the ownership group, uh, as a new ownership group comes in, um, to maybe not look, you know, for another job elsewhere and, uh, you know, feel secure no matter what happens, um, you know, going into 2022. And it's great to hear, you know, a lot of steps are in place for that. 
and the franchise, you know, from a fan perspective will not change. And uh, to wrap things up and to totally shift gears, this episode of the podcast will air tomorrow. And uh, every year on National Bobblehead Day, uh, people ask me, you know, what are my favorite bobbleheads? And I almost always say the Iowa Cubs, when they gave away a bobblehead of later, it was literally a bobblehead of a player named later. You know, there's always the player to be named later in a transaction deal. And the Iowa Cubs finally decided to give later his due. And uh, it's always been one of my favorites. And, um, you know, you guys were both there when the team did that. So any anecdotes, stories related to this great bobblehead, the later bobblehead that you can share here on National Bobblehead Day would be uh, spectacular. Well, it's been one of the most popular bobbleheads, uh, definitely most unusual. Uh, it was inspired by one of our former owners now, Michael Giudicessi, who thought that was a great idea, and it was. He also got his personalized license plate, uh, player to be named later, only initials, what, PBLTL. He had that as his uh, personalized license plates on his car. So he went one step further. Uh, just another reason, uh, example of local ownership and local ideas and being able to get that done quickly. Uh, he's a great guy. He had a lot of good ideas. One of his best ones, long running one was the I Cubs or My Cubs video series we did. Uh, then candidate Obama was in it. And of course, we played that a lot during his eight years as president. But Newt Gingrich was in it. A lot of former MLB players, local celebrities, things like that, all saying, of the iCubs or my cubs. So uh, this ownership group was great to work for and we're looking forward to uh, the future. Yeah, I think it's 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 funny that you mentioned that bobblehead of the dozens and dozens we've done over the 20 plus years we've been here. That's one of the two I have in, up in my office. That's one of my favorite ones as well, uh, along with Red Hollis. You know, you mentioned the media coverage that we've got. You know, Sam was on CNN the other day. <laughs> Uh, it all started with a tweet. Uh, I asked Mr. Gartner if I could uh, post a, a tweet uh, thanking him and kind of recognizing his efforts, not wanting to get all this coverage, but just wanting to let my friends know, who also know Mr. Gartner, what had happened and what a nice thing uh, he did for us, because we have a lot of the same friends. And I just wanted that generosity to not go unnoticed. I did not realize how noticed it would get. So uh, we're ready for this to kind of die down now. And, you know, it was a great effort. It was a great, great uh, thing to do. But I think we're ready to, to get going on 2022 now. Yeah, and everyone in minor league baseball now knows if they need a loan, they can hit up their friends at the uh, in the Iowa Cubs front office. Um, Alex Cohen, but, I'm coming uh, for you. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Brent Conkle, Scott Saylor with the Iowa Cubs. Thanks so much for being on the show before the show podcast and uh, talking all about this with us. Thank you. Thanks for having us. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. 
Learn more at marines.com. Huge thanks to the Iowa Cubs and uh, such a cool story. Uh, I did love when there was a mention of, oh yeah, we've heard from a lot of former uh, employees and interns. And I thought like all those people are trying to suss out whether or not they can get some of this loot. I know, I know that for a fact. <laughs> somebody who worked for the team. And I'm not saying they shouldn't, but somebody who worked for the team in like 19, what, 98? Right. And they're like trying to come through and be like, am I in on this? Can I get in yeah. on this? I mean, um, you know, like, yeah, again, as they should, like everybody helps build a franchise. There's nobody who works right. in a front office who uh, does not carry, uh, you know, some form of weight of making a minor league baseball team successful. And uh, just such a cool thing for the Iowa Cubs and uh, big congratulations to their front office. And uh, with that, we'll move on. We're uh, going to continue along with the resolutions theme here for this 2022 opening episode of the show before the show and talk about some on-field stuff as uh, the minor league baseball season, of course, still set to, to steamroll ahead uh, right on time and get the calendars opened in April for minor league teams across the country. Sam, from an on-field perspective, uh, what catches your eye for this year? Yeah, so I've just got a couple, I guess, themes or, or resolutions, however you want to look at them. I think resolutions can sometimes be broadened out and people just stuff whatever they want in there. So maybe you'll think that's what I'm doing here. It doesn't matter to me. Um, but I, I came up with three uh, just before the show started. And the first one is one theme that I think we're going to look at going into this year is just there are a lot of rookies, especially on the AL side, who are right on the cusp. A lot of top prospects were right on the cusp of the majors. You got Adley Rutschman, Julio Rodriguez, Bobby Witt Jr., Spencer Torkelson, uh, Riley Green, Grayson Rodriguez, all of these guys have ETAs of 2022. That's you know when we do our MLB pipeline list, we attach an ETA. All those guys have 2022. I would expect Rutschman, Rodriguez, Witt, Torkelson, and Green all to be in that mix potentially for opening day. Um, you know, there's there's a lot that needs to happen between now and then. There's a work stoppage going on right now. Things need to be hammered out there. Um, but you know, minor league opening day is no matter what going to happen on time, barring some other unforeseen delay. Uh, but all of those guys should be in the mix for a major league spot in the spring. And I'm not saying all of them should get it by any means. Rodriguez hasn't played in AAA yet. Torkelson and Green have kind of limited uh, AAA experience as do Rutschman and Whip. But they all looked close to being major league ready, if not major league ready outright at the end of last year. So my resolution is get these guys to the majors as soon as you deem them actually ready. One thing we're going to find out about this new CBA whenever it is agreed to, whenever it's hammered out, is what does service time look like? And even under the old system, I would say these are guys who should be in the majors right now. They're trying to earn their spot. Let's get them there as quickly as we can. I would love to watch them in the minor leagues. Listen, that's my job is to watch the minor leagues. I love watching a Bobby Witt Jr. homer as much as anybody else. Um, but I also want to see primo talent on the biggest stages possible. So I would love to see those guys get to the majors as early as possible in 2022 I'm um, kind of dovetailing out of that is my next resolution, which involves the Baltimore Orioles. When we last did our MLB pipeline farm system rankings, we had the Orioles at number one unseating the Tampa Bay Rays, who have been there for a while and, and for good reason, but you graduate the number one overall prospect in baseball, you're going to take a bit of a tumble. Um, so right now the Orioles have the number one overall prospect in baseball, according to our last rankings, which came out in the middle of the season in Rutschman. They have the number one pitching prospect in Rodriguez. Um, but my resolution for the Orioles is start turning this into major league talent soon. That's always been the thing with them is that they feel like they were building up their farm system. And now they're there. I mean, again, number one in the game, but the, the Orioles haven't had a winning season since 2016. Uh, they lost the AL wildcard game that year. They went 89 and 73. 
their win totals in the years following 75, 47, 54, 25 in the short and 2020 season, and then 52 last year. They're getting the number one overall pick this year, which again is going to help their bounty. But, you know, start turning this into major league talent. When you get Rutschman in place, when you get Rodriguez in place, if you get DL Hall, who, you know, has some injury concerns, but if he's healthy, he should be in that major league conversation as well. Start allowing the fans of Baltimore to see these guys at the top level and show them how talented they are and how they are going to be the building blocks of the next winner in Baltimore. Uh, that that franchise, that city is too good of a baseball city to be down for too long. I think when Rutschman gets there, everybody's going to be very pleased. I think when Rodriguez gets there, everybody's going to be very pleased. I'm not saying they're going to make the playoffs this year, but at least by the end of 2022, I want the Orioles to have everybody locked into the point where you can say, okay, starting in 2023, they should really be going for it. Um, and then my final one is kind of a personal one. It, it's a professional one, but also a personal one. Is to kind of find the next Anthony Volpe. Volpe surprised a lot of people with how he performed last year. Uh, he was a first-round talent. Everybody knew he was pretty good. Uh, but when the Yankees took him, it seemed like the Yankees were higher on him than the industry. Uh, it seemed like he could do a lot of things well, but not anything superiorly great. And then as the year was going on, he was starting to put up uh, really good exit velocities. He was starting to hit the ball with authority. He was showing more power than we expected. You know, he finished the year slugging 604. His average was hovering around 300 at two different levels. Um, it, you know, he, he's, he proved to be not just somebody who could do many things well, but somebody who could do many things extremely well. And now we have him at the number 15 overall prospect spot. I was talking to Jim Callis the other day. We were making predictions on who could be the number one overall prospect next year. And he had Volpe in that conversation. I want to find the next guy who's going to be like that. Somebody who is very skilled and we know is good, but hasn't shown it yet. Um, or doesn't necessarily have a plus tool, but develops a plus tool. There's going to be like that. Somebody like that this year, there's always a breakout prospect of the year. You could throw like a Gabriel Moreno in that discussion from 2021 as well. Um, but try to find that person early in, in my research, my discussions with folks uh, and try to identify them and really follow them throughout the year. And it's just so much more fun when you see it happen naturally, but uh, the earlier you get on a breakout prospect, the more fun it can be. So try to find that Volpe here early April or May uh, of 2022. Tyler, you got any you can think of? I like it. Um, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> I do. Uh, I really just cannot wait to see Julio Rodriguez uh, in the big leagues. And I know Mariners fans are so excited to see him there. You know, they finally got Jerry Kelnick up to the major league level. Um, and similarly to what you're talking about with Baltimore, um, with getting Rushman and Rodriguez and those guys uh, to the show to put them back in a position of contention, the Mariners were so close last year that is the right. and I'm, I know Mariners fans are sick of hearing this and I don't blame them that is the longest playoff drought in American professional sports major American professional sports um and that is a sports city that similarly to Baltimore that is way too good of a baseball city to be down for that long and for M's fans the way they turned out uh, especially during the playoff run those sellouts uh, toward the end of the regular season last year making that run there is so much excitement in Seattle for what they have been building and what they are now on the verge of having and uh, that's just an easy team to pull for and obviously you know we're, we pull for prospects to be successful and for teams to have success across the board in Major League Baseball but there are definitely ones that hit uh 
a point in their franchise history where you think, okay, this is an inflection and this fan base deserves something good right now. You know, Baltimore is that way. Uh, certainly Seattle is that way. There are a lot of teams who are like that around baseball and, you know, Julio Rodriguez, we have yet to see a stretch in Julio Rodriguez's baseball life where it seems like, okay, maybe he's overmatched here. Um, I don't think we have really seen that at all through everything that he's done, whether it's at the, the class A levels, uh, low A, high A, making the, the jump to double A, uh, the Olympics last year, he does everything. And for him to finally arrive there, be with Jerry Kelnick, uh, be with whoever else the, the Mariners are going to push to the forefront of a pursuit of a, an AOS title or a wild card berth or whatever it is. Uh, I'm excited for that. And uh, I think baseball should be excited for that too, because to have an outpost in the Pacific Northwest with a good franchise uh, with exciting talent, where have we seen that movie before? You know, the, the mid nineties, even though I think Sam is too young to remember them, uh, they were very fun, very exciting times uh, for baseball because you had an electrifying talent like Ken Griffey Jr. in a place that wasn't New York and wasn't Los Angeles and, and wasn't Chicago. Um, so it's, uh, I'm very excited for that, uh, that the, the M's are on that stage, uh, or at least are approaching that stage. Uh, and with such easily likable guys too, uh, like Julio Rodriguez. So that's kind of the one that sticks out for me. And, uh, man, we're just a couple of months away from baseball, which is so fantastic. And, uh, with all of that, we're gonna send this thing to our good pal, Joshua Jackson. We'll be back on the other side to wrap it up. this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of ghosts of the miners now here's your correspondent and host joshua jackson Patterson Lettuce Crunchers B. The Davenport Onion Weeders C. The Colleen Pea Snappers If you pick A or C and your eyes are welling up, it's because you cut the correct team B. The Davenport Onion Weeders Playing in one of America's all-time great minor league regions, the area of the Iowa-Illinois border that's home to today's Quad Cities River Bandits, the Onion Weeders were a plucky and somewhat malodorous base bulb team back in 1888. <laughs> there are a lot of layers to the story of the Davenport Ball Club of 88. The Onion Weeders sprouted that year in the Central Interstate League and tried to blossom in the higher profile Western Association following an early August merger with that circuit's Minneapolis Millers. That club, despite playing in the larger city, couldn't get much fan enthusiasm to bubble up. On July 14, the Irish Standard, newspaper for Twin Cities' Irish-American population, reported, 
Manager Gooding talks of disbanding the Minneapolis team next Monday. His reason for doing so lies in the fact that it's no longer profitable to play ball in Minneapolis, owing mainly to the suppression of Sunday games. But it probably didn't help that on the other days of the week, the Millers stunk. Onion Weeders' rooters might have teared up at this point, as they did not have salad days ahead as their team moved into a more competitive league with the boost, or burden, of some of the Miller's grinders and its association worst record. Or, as the nascent Sporting News referred to it, as the two teams were punched, the best of both clubs will be kept. Davenport is too good a ball city to be without a team. Western Association games will play well here. The games may have played well, but the new Davenport 9 didn't. An item from the St. Paul Daily Globe reported that the Onion Weeders were calcimined by the Sioux City Cornhuskers on September 7th, and the standings following that game had the Onion Weeders way down at garden level, dead last, with a 28-64 mark for the Franken team. The next year, Davenport was back in the Central Interstate League, playing as the Hawkeyes. Onion-oriented baseball teams live on in the form of the Walla Walla Sweets of the West Coast Collegiate League and, of course, of the Lowe West's Vidalia Rawhide. And that's the dirt on the Onion Week. <laughs> now, on to the question for next time. Which of these shocking clubs provided the jolt in the minors of yesteryear? A. The Maryville Lightning Rods B. The Schenectady Electricians C. The Vicksburg Volts Want to know the answer? Fly a kite! Or tune into the next Ghosts of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer Ben Hill has taken up ice fishing, and he's caught an entire glacier. episode of the show before the show i picked the onion weeders by the way if you listen to the episode <laughs> last week and uh i made a reference to yeah i gave you a suggestion for a name and it was a team from the 1890s we didn't know how much we'd be able to find on it um that was when i was writing up the quad cities uh ballpark guide i was looking through davenport iowa's baseball reference page where it lists all the teams throughout franchise history and i saw the davenport onion weeders and immediately texted josh and was like i have a new ghost team for you um so that was i was very proud to have a hand in that one I know I should have put two and two together on that when he sent us the script and I'm like, Oh yeah, this is a lot about like the quad cities area. And I uh, didn't think about that. That was pretty, no, no, pretty that was such a good one. Pretty and also that was such a good episode last week. I should say, we haven't said that, or I haven't said that you were on the episode last week, I was. our most I was. recent episode before this one. Um, it was such a fun dive into what makes ghost special and bringing Josh on for as long as I think it was a half an hour long to go a little bit deeper into you know why we do that segment why Josh does that segment. Yeah. That's another bone I have to pick with him. And he's just like, no, no, there's, there's a lot of help. There is some help, but it, it's, it's from beginning to end a Josh Jackson production. Um, you would do the most work I would say on it, just adding in some fun audio qualities to it. But Josh is what makes that a lot, a lot of fun. And um, I'm really glad he got his moment to shine on the, that episode last week. 
wholeheartedly agree. Uh, my favorite moments are when I can tell Josh is hinting at me dropping in a clip from like a season four, five, six Simpsons episode, and I catch it and then get to go with uh, with that sound effect. Those are always my favorite moments. Maybe there's uh, one coming up. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, so that'll do it for this week's episode of the show before the show. Big thanks to Josh, uh, to Benjamin Hill, to the Iowa Cubs front office, and for Sam Dykstra, I'm Tyler Mott. We'll talk to you next week. Oh, 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 oh,